seeking to be you know, a family that we are, right? Uh, uh, glad to have Luke and Diane back uh, from their trip out to Asia to see family and uh, their kids as well. I also had the privilege, uh, uh, while uh, Jeff was preaching a couple weeks ago, to be in the nursery and to hang out with, uh, I think it was 11 that week, 11 babies and toddlers. And uh, yeah, I think p- kids... Kids' personalities especially come out once they can move, right? Like, you know, they just sit there, they can't, can't do much, in them. but then when they start moving, and, and I was like, as a parent who's seen that with several of my own kids, right, like, with a couple of the kids, I was like, oh, those parents have a challenge, because these kids just keep moving, and that's all there is to it. But uh, we're wrapping up our series on Proverbs this morning, um, and, and looking at... Um, just kind of making decisions, because if, if wisdom is about making decisions, and I just turned off my, this is not going to be good here, just a second, there we go. Um, if it's about making decisions, uh, th- th- then Proverbs has a lot to say about in that in various ways, and so I would just want to summarize that for us this morning, because we live in a world of making decisions, right? There's all these options, there's all these choices you can make. The, the, the CEO of Starbucks once said that uh, you have about 80,000 choices you can make when, when ordering your, you know, I, I don't order Starbucks, so I don't even know, your latte with cream and no whip and whatever else you can choose there. Uh, you got 80,000 different permutations for choosing that, that option. And we live in that age, right? We, we go down... Um, but, Obviously, the older you get, the more you realize the choices we have. When I, when I was going through the grocery store as a kid, we had maybe, you know, 10, 12 cereals, right, to choose from. Now there's at least 50, right, on the, on the cereal aisle. It's an, it's an entire aisle, not just a... And, and so we live in this, in this um, time of choice and therefore of making decisions. And, um, and obviously people comment on this in a, in a TED Talk, the, the Paradox of Choice, Secular psychologist Barry Schwartz claims that many of us live by this unspoken but official dogma, maximize your happiness by maximizing your individual freedom. And the way to maximize your individual freedom is to maximize choice, right? Like I can, I can reinvent myself and I can make myself because I can choose all, I have the most possible choices to make. Even our personal identity becomes a matter of choice. We don't inherit, inherit an identity in our world today. We get to invent it. We get to reinvent ourselves as often as we like. And that means every day when you wake up, you have to decide what kind of person you want to be. Do you feel that pressure sometimes? Like, who am I going to be today? Or what, you know, how am I going to make my life my life today? Schwartz ended his talk by pointing to a fishbowl. The picture of two fish in a fishbowl, or this very case, one fish in a fishbowl, is the, mat- the truth of the matter is that if you shatter the fishbowl so that everything is possible, you don't have freedom any longer. You have paralysis. In fact, if you shatter this fishbowl so that everything is possible, you decrease satisfaction. Everyone needs, in a sense, the, the, a fishbowl, a set of limits, a set of understanding of how to live in the world. The absence of the metaphorical fishbowl is a recipe for misery, and I suspect disaster, well, disaster for the fish for certain, right? And so we live in a world of choice, and yet at the same time, 
recognizing that choice doesn't necessarily bring happiness. It's not that, hey, if I'm, I'm going to maximize my, cho- my, my happiness by maximizing my freedom, I'm going to maximize my, my freedom by maximizing my choices. That, that, those two actually don't go together. So how do we live in God's world? How do we think and make decisions and, yet, and, and have the freedom that we enjoy and yet at the same time pursue true happiness? Because it, it starts with understanding just the basic story of the Bible, right? You have to understand the story that we live in. We all live in this story, right? Because this is God's world. He made it. He created it. He put Adam and Eve in the garden. He, he said, tend it, create a, a, you know, create a world that will be enjoyable to live in, in a, in a sense, emulate the Garden of Eden all over the world. And instead of choosing that, they chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, we've got a better plan for our lives than you, God. And they broke their relationship with God. They rebelled against his rule. And they ended up in death and destruction. They thought, we want to maximize our freedom. And rather than maximizing their satisfaction, they maximized their destruction. And we live in this world, and yet we also live in a world where God didn't just leave us there. He, he started working in the world, making promises, and then acting on those promises, ultimately to send Jesus to come as a baby, to, to live amongst us as a holy person, sinless, trusting God, living under his rule, and then dying on the cross paying for our sins, paying for our guilt, rising again so that we have the hope of eternal life beyond death and sin. And then he rose again and he ascended to heaven and just like we sang about when Christ our life appears, we're we're looking for that return, right? We're, We're looking for that day. And so in the midst of this story that we live in, where we know the beginning and in a sense we know the ending, we, how do we live? How do we, how, do, how do we pursue life? And wisdom is about living with skill in the midst of the story. How do we live with skill? And wisdom isn't always, well, it's like either wisdom or sin, but in a sense, to, to not pursue wisdom is sin in a sense because you're, you're not trying to live in the story. You're not trying to live with skill in the story. In Ecclesiastes chapter 6, which is another um, wisdom book, right? Solomon says, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. We can maximize, we're trying to maximize our happiness, and yet we're never satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Now, if Proverbs is how to live life under normal circumstances, Ecclesiastes is how to live life when everything's falling apart, in a sense. And Solomon here is saying, okay, in a broken world, does it it really help to be wise? I mean, because in, in reality, everything's still broken. And his answer ultimately is, yes, it's better to be wise than to be a fool, but he's also saying something here. He's saying, but just being wise isn't going to satisfy. Just saying, well, I've got all the wisdom, I've got all the information, I I can make the best decisions, that's not necessarily going to satisfy. He goes on to say, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. 
This also is vanity and a striving after wind. What is he saying? Well, we, we, have, a, we have a saying in English, right? A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? And the idea is, is that if you, if you have something that you can hold on to, that you can grasp, that you can, that you can cling to, rather than just thinking, well, I've got to be satisfied, I wonder how I can be satisfied, and always kind of maximizing my freedom in order to maximize my choices and then hopefully, maybe, possibly maximize my happiness. He's saying maybe we need to understand the story we live in, grasp that story, live in it, and as we focus on what we have in Christ, ultimately, we, we, we become fully satisfied. And that's what I want to kind of talk about this morning by talking about kind of four questions you can ask yourself in order to make decisions, in order to grasp the grace that you have and to live in God's world in a practical way. So four questions uh, you can ask yourself as you make decisions. And I use the, the, the kind of the metaphor here, if, you, if you're using notes, and you, you see kind of G-E-A-R or gear. That is because, again, wisdom is not, well, I made this decision and now I'm happy, okay? It's a path. It's, it's this process we go through. And another way, another metaphor for that is kind of that idea of gears. Gears clicking together, working together to turn something forward, to move something forward. And, and so here's these four things you can, kind of four ideas that you can ask yourself about, to ask yourself four questions in order to grasp the grace you have. And the first one is to grasp grace. It's to grasp grace. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18 says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. It's a, it's a contrasting picture of how you view your life. The wise person, it says here, understands that, hey, I might be confused now. I might not be satisfied now. I might not have all the answers now. I might not have all the choices now. But I believe that I'm on this path of grace, that God is moving me forward, and I can more understand more of his word and more of myself and more of his world, and I can move forward in it. Just like dawn slowly creeps into our lives until we like, okay, it's, it's full day. And that's the, the picture here of someone who is on the path of righteousness and is trusting God and walking in his grace. As opposed to the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They think they know where they're at. They actually think they know what, what, what's good for them, but they stumble and they don't even know why, right? They can't even figure it out. Psalm 139 gives us a different picture of this. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. When you, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Here's, here's the picture for a Christian of understanding how God's grace operates in their life. God knows you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your path. He knows the plans that he has for you. He's, he's working in that. And here it says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. It's like God's like saying, okay, you can't go forward. You can't go back. I've got my hand on you. 
And that's not a picture of futility. It's not a picture of frustration. It's a picture of grace. That God knows you. He knows your life. And he, has, he is working things into your life. And if you ignore that, if you fight against that, then you, you run into issues. It's... it's uh, in basketball, they talk about not forcing the game. It applies in other sports as well, but basketball is, is a game where it's especially relevant because there's five guys in the court. You can, you, can use your, use, you can use your own abilities. You can also use your teammates' abilities and play off them, but it's quick. It has to be quick. And sometimes when you're playing basketball and you're not winning, you get frustrated and you're trying to figure out, well, I just want to win. I want to make this work. And when they talk about forcing the game, what, what they're saying is you start to use more of your effort and more of your energy and, and actually mess up the chemistry of the team and even the, the rhythm of your own body. Why? Because you're so frustrated and you're trying to force it. One of the things you have to realize as a Christian is to live skillfully in God's world is that God's grace surrounds you. It's behind you, it's in front of you, it's in your situation right now. And you trying to rush things or force things is not wise. It doesn't mean that sometimes you don't need to make quick decisions, but you know the difference between rushing a decision and a quick decision. You know that, 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 that feeling of hurry and I've got to make something happen and I've got to, in a sense, force the deal here rather than saying, God, you're in control of my life. You're in control of my situation. And this is just an important process in walking skillfully in God's world is to grasp grace, to hold on to that in the midst of your situation. For Amy and I recently, we've... We, uh, we were on vacation in June, and we um, uh, borrowed some money from my rich son, who's in college, who has all the money, uh, to buy a camper. And so um, uh, he, we, we bought the camper, we used it, and we're going to sell it. And so we, we've done that, and now we're in the process of selling it. The problem is, it's not selling as quickly as we'd like, you know what I mean? We're like, okay, how do, how do we just, the temptation against to force the issue. And I had somebody come and look at it, and, uh, uh, and, she, and she's, like, she, she's like, it ticks off all the boxes, I'll pay your full price. I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. I was like, okay. And then she's like, but uh, I, I, this is my concern. And she looked it up, and I was like, well, then you need to check some things out first, because you know, your, your concern's valid and you need to, you know, you need to, I like, I could have, I could have, the point was I could have lied in the midst and said, oh, no, no, that's not a problem. <laughs> I'll take the money and run, right? It was like, no, no, I, I don't, I don't want to hurry this. I want to preserve my integrity in the midst of this. I want to preserve your, your, I want to care about you in the midst of this. And, and, and so often we're tempted to like just get out. I mean, because in some ways it's not about the money at this point. It's just like, I, I don't want to have to sell it. I just want to be done with it, right? And yet grasping grace means understanding that, that 
even in the frustrations of life, even in the difficulties of life, that God's grace, is, his hand is still on you. He, he knows what's going on. It goes on in Psalm 139 to say, he's thought, he has thought more thoughts about you than the, the sand of the sea. He knows so much about you. and He has so many things that he's thought through for you. And if you rush things or force things, you're missing out on understanding that God's grace is at, at work in your life. So don't ignore the grace of God. And so the question you can ask yourself in the midst of making decisions in in order to grasp grace is, does this help me walk by faith and grow in confidence of God's grace? Does this help me walk by faith and grow in confidence of God's grace? It might be a decision where you're saying, well, I'm going to go to this school, or I'm going to pursue this relationship, or I'm going to make the decision about this job. The question to ask yourself is just, does this help me walk by faith? and grow in confidence of his grace. Now, could that, they say, well, that doesn't help me out necessarily that much, well, so let's move on to the next one. To embrace discretion. Embrace discretion. October 27th, 1962. Some of you were alive then. You did not know at the time that it was the day the world almost ended. One man, Vasily Arkhipov, displayed the virtue of self-control. He was the second in command of the Soviet submarine B-59 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. They were located underwater near Cuba and unable to receive outside communication due to mandated radio silence. They were detected by the U.S. Navy. The Americans released explosives intended to force the B-59 to the surface. So they weren't trying to blow up the sub. They were trying to just say, you know, come up. You know, it's a diesel sub. Eventually they have to come up. The crew was unsure how to proceed. Battery power in the submarine was dwindling, and the extreme heat in the vessel became unbearable. Some members of the crew suspected that war had broken out and wanted to launch nuclear warheads towards the U.S. to aid the Soviet offensive. They're like, hey, if, if they're doing this, it must have happened, and so we need to launch. Of course, if war had not broken out, and of course it hadn't, right, this action would certainly begin a war. The captain and the third in command both wanted to launch the missile. But Soviet protocol required that all three officers make the unanimous decision. And Arkhipov eventually decided that he couldn't agree to launch, but instead decided to wait. We need to wait for orders. Because of his refusal, the sub surfaced. The U.S. Navy surrounded them and forced them to return to the Soviet Union in shame. For years, Arkhipov endured taunts in his home country for choosing to surface. However, in 2002, Robert McNamara, the former U.S. Secretary of Defense, publicly acknowledged that Arkhipov's decision prevented a nuclear war at the most important moment in human history. How do you embrace discretion when you're under pressure like that? And most of us won't be in that kind of situation necessarily, but we all feel pressure We all feel like, well, people are expecting a decision from me. People are expecting this from me. People are expecting me to go along with what they think is the right thing to do. How do you embrace discretion? Well, an interesting thing is is to go, here's a, a way of thinking about it, all right? Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 talk about this. Say, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You say, well, how does this have to do with facing decisions under pressure? Is the question, okay? Is the proverb saying, hey, if you honor the Lord with your wealth, then, then you're, you're just going to have so much wealth you won't know what to do with it. 
is that really what it's saying about life? Because I think most of us would say, well, I have honored the Lord with my wealth, and it's not like I've got a million dollars in the bank, right? So I don't think that's what the proverb is saying. I think what it's saying is, you know who your commanding officer is, so to speak. You're saying, I'm going to honor the Lord with my wealth. Why? Because I know, first of all, it came from him. It's from him, and I'm going to honor him with it. And then, now, it's, it's not that I'm going, to have, I'm going to have some preconceived idea of what plenty looks like in my head, but I realize that because God is the one who provides for me and I can honor him, I, I realize I do have what I need. <laughs> and not just what I need, I, I have what I need to be generous with those around me. You see, the difference is not in whether you have $1,000 in the bank or a million dollars in the bank. The difference is where you're focused that you realize that, that you can trust God with what you have because he's the one who provides for you. He's already provided for you, and you've, you've seen his provision, and so you, you, you honor him with that, and you realize, look, this is, this is what I have. And you say, well, how does, because what this says is that I, but I, I'm embracing discretion. See, we can either live life proud, saying, I can make my own limits, I can set my own goals, I can set my own sense of what what will fulfill me and and is best for me. Or we can embrace discretion that says, you know what, I don't know always what's best for me. I didn't create myself, I don't have all the, I don't have the thoughts like the sand of the sea for me, so I'm going to embrace the idea that God is more in control of this than I am. (laughs) That God has set limits to my life and that I'm better off Dealing with, dealing with what he's giving me and rejoicing in it than I am setting and manipulating things to get what I want. In some ways, he's saying here, deal with the small, concrete things in front of you. When you honor the Lord with your wealth, you're saying, well, look, look what I've received, and I'm going to give back. I'm dealing with what's in front of me. And when you're making decisions, one of the best things that you can do is deal with what's in front of you. Now with what you wish was in front of you. Because God has a plan, he's working his plan. And I'm embracing discretion when I say, look, okay, his plan is operating, not mine. And I'm going to work with what's in front of me, not what I wish was in front of me. You see, there's something about how we engage life. We can either engage life saying, I'm going to use the things around me to get what I want, or we can embrace life saying, in a sense, the things that are around me both help me, but they also form me. They both, this is a bi-directional relationship that we're in. Can I just use the phone as an example, right? Some, Some people say, well, I can use the phone to get what I want. You realize that the phone especially in today's world, like in social media, the phone is designed to keep you on the phone. Not to find meaning and purpose in life and enjoyment in life. It's just designed to keep you on the phone. Because the more they keep you on the phone, the more they get from you. It's not, it's not, it's not designed by the manufacturers to be a mutual relationship. You say, well, well I... I get so much from it. Yes, there's so much value that comes from having a, a smartphone. I'm not saying that they're, they're inherently wrong. What I'm saying is you've got you've to approach it with discretion. 
You've got to realize you're formed by what, what you engage with. You both give to something and you receive something from something as you get involved. So if, if I'm on my phone, I'm give, getting something from the phone, but I'm also receiving, I'm, I'm giving something to the phone. And the question is, is I'm aware, are you aware of that? Are you aware of what's going on? The, the, the commitments you're making, whether that's, that's just not just the phone, that's anything we choose to get involved in, to spend time at. It's a, it's a mutual relationship, ultimately. You're both giving something and getting something at the same time. The question is, if you embrace discussion, what is the end goal I believe will result? What am I working toward do you know where you're headed? You say, no, well, I'll just get on my phone and I just flip through. Oh, this, this is kind of cool. I'm, just, I'm looking for fun. Okay. But will just being on your phone, flipping through things, actually produce that for you? You, you, you need to think that through. You need to consider what's the end goal I believe will result. What am I moving toward? In a sense, what am I practicing toward as well? Because... And we all kind of practice through life, in a sense. Uh, we practice relationships in the home. We practice skills at work. And, and in some ways, it's a, again, it's a giving and receiving thing. You're, you're formed by it. What, what things do I hope will result? God says, first of all, don't, don't, pursue your own happiness, he says it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? So um, I should be pursuing things that help me bless others, encourage others, because ultimately, as I give, I also receive, <laughs> right? I receive joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and so, so the question comes, if you will, in this, in this picture of, okay, how, I, I need to live embracing discretion, realizing I've got limits, and, and what I engage with is going to affect me, it's going to form me, which then brings up the third area, which is activating curiosity, activating curiosity. says here, my son, do not despise, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves whom, whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is repeated in Hebrews 12 as well. And in Hebrews 12, it's highlighting the fact that we often forget what, God, what God's intentions are in our lives. <laughs> If we, if we know God's grace is active, we forget it. And, and so what happens is, okay, let's just say, okay, I'm embracing discretion. I'm, I'm seeking to pursue a good path. And then it doesn't go the way I thought it was going to go. I, I get married, and, and I thought it was going to be all joy and bliss, and then I realize it's not all joy and bliss. There's, there's, there's challenges to it. There's hardships to it. And what... What you have to do in that situation is you have to believe Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My Lord, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. 
Do you believe that God's intention toward you is he delights in you? And it's not that he's reproving you because he's like, well, this guy's an idiot, and there's nothing else I can do with him other than slap him upside the head. Sometimes it feels that way, right? But in fact, that he's, he's intentionally bringing challenges, hardships, difficulties into your life for the purpose of, of, of helping you see more of who he is, more of who you are, more of how God's world works, and, and, and you have to stay curious. The, the problem is, is that if we run into hardships and difficulties and then we start to assume that God is against us, what happens? Well, we miss out on God's voice. We miss out on God's love. We miss out on, 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 on the, just walking by faith, and we're, we're constantly then thinking, okay, I've got I've to figure out how to do this right in order to know that God loves you. God says he loves you. <laughs> he told you he loved you before he introduced the difficulty into your life. And he's doing it for a reason. Again, just, just turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 uh, briefly uh, just to see how the writer of Hebrews expounds on this. Hebrews chapter 12. It says that verse 5 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And and sometimes, again, we, we... we think of God's discipline as, as the harsh stuff. But in, in, in the Psalms, God is speaking in the Psalms. He says, don't make me you know, drag you to where you need to go. Just, just notice when I glance a certain way. There's, there's, in a sense, there's levels of discipline. There's levels of God's chastising hand in our life. Because if you're a parent, you know this. Like My goal is not to go from you know, zero chastisement to 100% chastisement in the blink of an eye. I'm more like, you know what, he's headed slightly the wrong direction here, and, I, I, and he's okay right now, but I'm hoping that he doesn't make this one turn, and I'm hoping he makes this turn, so I'm going to make some suggestions, right? I hope he pays attention to what I'm trying to say or the, the, the hints I'm trying to make to him, because, because I want him to, to, to make the decisions on his own, but I want to guide those decisions, and God introduces things we don't expect into our lives. Why? He's not trying to beat us up. He's trying to guide us to say, hey, there's more, there's more than you understand what's going on here. I know one situation that God really impressed this on me with was uh, I was coming out of my freshman year of college and I was excited about serving God. I wanted to fight some sin in my life. I wanted to set some goals. And I, I set some goals in my life and uh, and I thought, okay, I've learned so much from my freshman year of college, I'm ready to handle it. <laughs> In freshman year of college, you're just, yeah, you don't learn that much. You just think you learn a lot. And, uh, and I, 
I, the summer was a, a waste in so many different ways. My job didn't go well. Uh, the, the goals I set didn't go well. Nothing, nothing seemed to go well. And I'm like, God, why? Like, I, I had all the best of intentions. I was trying to do the right things. And it seemed like you put a, a stumbling block in my path every step of the way. And it was like God was saying to me, yeah, but I wanted you to learn some things that you didn't realize you needed to learn. <laughs> Is that okay? Like, there's, there's more to life than just your goals for your life. Is that, is that okay? You see, the Lord delights in us. He is, he is crafting us and making us, not, if, if we're his children, into objects he delights in. That he's moving us, that he's not frustrated with us. He's not ultimately disappointed in us. He's like, I know my plan, and I'm working my plan. And can we trust that? Can we, in that sense, can we activate curiosity to be like, I wonder, why am I responding this way where I don't trust God in the midst of this difficulty? Why, why are others maybe doing the same thing? Why aren't they trusting God? Can you, can you activate curiosity about how you respond in the midst of life? Because if you can activate that curiosity and, and be curious rather than shame-filled or guilt-filled, you can, you can look carefully at what God is doing with hope and with peace and with faith rather than thinking to yourself, I've failed, we've failed, there's no hope left, I better run. And so as you approach decisions, don't just approach the decision thinking to yourself, okay, I'm going to make the decision and here's the result. Activate curiosity. I'm going to make this decision and I'm going to see what God's going to do in the midst of this decision. Maybe it's going to go well and I'm going to learn some things through that. Maybe it's not going to go well and God isn't punishing me. He's molding me. He's shaping me. He's using the situation for my good. Can I trust that? Can I be curious about that? What is the good that he wants to do in this situation? And the last thing here, the R of gear, so to speak, so you have grasp, grasp grace, embrace discretion, activate curiosity, and reach for true joy. To reach for true joy. Proverbs chapter 4 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for, vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. What brings joy to you. Proverbs chapter 13, 19 says, a desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. There are, there are many potential joys in life. There are many deceptive offerings that look like joy in life. Will you always know the difference ahead of time? Not always. A fool says, once I've chosen a path, but it's not good, I'm going to keep going down it. I don't care. I'm going to figure out a way to get my joy out of this. That's foolish. We need to understand that God has this honest path and he's teaching us about what true joy looks like. And sometimes that means saying, oh, I'm headed down the wrong path, I need to change. And sometimes that means saying, you know what? 
I thought that was joy, but it's not. I'm going to turn away from it. And if you can't do that in the midst of your life, in, in the midst of making decisions, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. The next verse says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The other thing that will happen is if you can't, if you don't, people around you who have the same attitude, who are like, you know what, we're headed down the wrong path here, I think we need to change, then you're going to be in trouble. That's what it says right there. But whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. You know, it's, one of the things I enjoy about this church is we have older people and younger people, and you get to know a wide range of ages, and I, I just appreciate, especially the older guys in my life, because they've walked the path that I'm still walking. <laughs> and sometimes they're like, yeah, I wouldn't go down that path. I'm like, oh, I will pay attention to what you just said. <laughs> Why? Because they, they realized the path they were headed down, and they didn't like it, and they changed it, or they didn't like it until they learned some things from it that God was doing in their life, and they're like, I would would do something slightly different there. I like younger people, too, because they bring fresh options, in a sense. They're like, you know what, what about this path? Well, I never even thought about that path. You know what I mean? Let's think about that. There's so much much wisdom that comes, right? Uh, There's a proverb, right, that says, in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. I don't think that verse is saying, go around and pull your pull your friends as to which decision you should make. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think what it's saying is get, get people around you who think wisely about the issues of life and are saying, well, if you go down this path, this might be a problem. This is a blessing over here of this situation, but it might not apply in your situation. They, they understand how to give you bigger picture advice, not like, well, I would do this if I were you, because they don't, they're not you. To reach for true joy says, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm willing to, to, to not just sit on the fence and hope I can ride the fence to get both sides of everything until I, I get, get all the joys in life. It's no, it's just to say, you know what, I know I can find joy because God offers joy. And I'm going to pursue it. And it means sometimes that I'm, I'm like, Oop, I'm going down the wrong path, I'm going to change. But I'm not going to sit there and think, well, hopefully joy will eventually show up. Um, my, my youngest son is, uh, he's 14 and he's teaching Greta the joys of the Lord of the Rings. When I was a younger parent, I enforced the children read the books before watching the movies. Um, once I get to this stage, I'm like, oh, he wants to show her the movies first. I guess so. It's partially because I know Greta. She won't read the books anyway. <laughs> um, and, and so we were watching the, two, uh, the Return of the King and Aragorn, if you've heard the speech, right? Aragorn in the movie, he's like, you know, they think Frodo's dead they think they're surrounded. They think all hope is lost. And Aragorn's like, you know what? This could be the day when men fail, when they, when they flee the bonds of their loyalties to one another, and they just run away in panic, basically, and, uh, and, and nothing goes right. But that's not today. 
It's, it's, it's motivational, right? Because he's trying to say, hey, we're going to, even if all hope is lost, we are not going to believe all hope is lost. And we live in a world that wants to say to us, pursuing God, there's no hope in that. Listening to him, there's no hope in that. Doing what he says, there's no hope in that. But there is. There is hope in pursuing joy in God. There's hope in living his way. It is true that the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter until the full day. And yes, that won't really come until Christ returns. We understand that. But there is hope in following Christ. And staying loyal to the people that you need to be loyal to. And to learning from the people that you need to learn from. To walking in the discipline of God. And so reach for true joy. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't be like, well, there's no hope here. No, when you're making decisions, don't be like, well, it doesn't matter anyway. No, it does matter. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean it ultimately matters in the sense that if you get it wrong, all hope is lost. That's not the way God works. The beauty of how God works is when you get it wrong, he says, like, okay, I got, God, I got it wrong. Help me out. <laughs> so reach for true joy. Reach for trusting him. So you have grasp grace. Do you understand that God's grace is surrounding your life? That, that even as you make decisions, he is superintending things. Embrace discretion. Realize there's limits here. You're, you're going to have to live in light of those limits, and you're going to have to decide that, hey, I need to understand what God wants me to do and, and seek to do it the best I can to activate curiosity, to be like, you know what, as I make this decision, God's going to do some things that I don't expect. I wonder what he's going to teach me through it. I wonder how I'm going to relate to him and relate to others better through it. And then reach for true joy. Make a decision. Pursue it. Look at what's in front of you. You see, this isn't just hypothetical. It's just use what's in front of you. You're like, well, I don't know how my life's going to go. I don't know what my career's going to be or who I'm going to marry or I, I, I don't know even what school to go to or I don't know this or that or that. You do know what's in front of you. You've got some decisions to make about how you spend your time this week, how you spend your money this week, how you, how you embrace the relationships you have this week, how you talk to God and depend on Him this week. Start with this week. Take the next step. And remember that God's still in control. That there is coming a day when we see our Savior. And that day is not going to, nothing you can do can stop that. Because God is in control. So will you trust him? Will you grasp grace, embrace discretion, activate curiosity, and reach for true joy? Will you do it? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can look to you that in your grace and mercy you don't leave us or forsake us but you walk with us side by side, step by step until we reach your side and see you face to face and therefore Lord help us to walk with skill 
in life with wisdom, recognizing that we're going to make some mistakes. We're not going to know everything we need to know sometimes. And we're going to want things that don't really give us joy. But help us to grasp the grace of realizing you surround us. You will not give up on us. To embrace the discretion of realizing, okay, how do I, how do I live within my limits? How do I, how do I understand the, 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 the things that are forming me and, and, and be careful about what I do on a day-to-day basis? Help us to activate curiosity and be curious about what you're doing in our lives. And yes, we can't always understand because your thoughts are higher than ours and your ways are higher than ours, but you still step into our lives and you still show us mercy and grace and you're still patient with us and kind to us and gentle with us. And we thank you for that. And therefore, help us to reach for true joy, to the joy of knowing with you and walking with you and loving those around us and keeping our commitments with them and helping them to know you and love you as well. Because at the end of the day, you don't care how much money we have in the bank or how people look up to us or even how long we've lived. What you care about is that we show love to you and to others. This is true joy and true success in life. And we thank you that we can walk with you in it, in your son's name.